Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. Welcome back, Second Print Nation. It is another wonderful Wednesday. I, as always, am the remarkable Remso W. Martinez here with the mighty, marvelous, miraculous, mischievous, merciless... We're just using all the terms now. We're just piling on. I I said a few weeks ago I was going to keep adding something with (laughs) M and see how far I could go before I just completely stumbled. But that, once again, is the voice of the mighty Mark Claire. Mark, how is life... Life is good. Life is fine. Life is uh, life. Is life? What can I say? It has its ups. It has its downs. But no matter what is going on in life, I always get a nice reprieve from reading some comics and from hopping on the second print pod and chatting with you about them. So that's that's a shining beacon in my life, Remzo. Absolutely, it would come to this, but <laughs> hey, I mean, we, we, we have to we have to appreciate the little things. And I want to go ahead and give a shout out to everyone who recently joined the uh, the Second Print Comics Nation. Now, when we started with the fan zone, the Second Print Comics fan zone on Facebook, which we still have a few slots left before we hit that magic number fifty and we make it exclusive. Um, you know, it originally just consisted of a lot of our friends and listeners who were into comics. That helped us give us a bit of a boost. They learned about us through your show lines of liberty and my other podcast on the run so we had a nice little community started but what's great is getting to meet new people who we would have never met had we not done this show and that's that's always great getting to speak with new people learn about different things and enjoy fandom together because if we're not having fun together we're having really not much fun ourselves we're having bad times together and no one wants that yeah and uh you know with with the with everything going on with printing, I, I wanna I wanna put it carefully because somebody I, I actually had a comic book retailer reach out to me because he heard some of my comments on uh you know, basically discussing I, I think I, I think with everything going on with the comics industry with the printing schedules and stuff, I think uh, DC Comics breaking up with Diamond Publishing was a good situation because what it ultimately meant was um, retailers and readers could get their comics better. And should, God forbid, something like coronavirus happen again, it won't completely backlog entire industry and put many people out of work. So that, that's my stance. I still pretty much stand by that. But I had somebody who is a comic book shop owner reach out and basically give me uh, the flip side of that. And I totally understand it with, um, you know, know with different publishers and different printers and different companies you have to deal with new catalogs you have to deal with new credit checks um this has been a difficult time for people to get you know their comics regularly i totally get it and when you see comic book stores closing left and right it is it is something that you know somewhat is somewhat bothersome we always knew that this industry specifically with brick and mortar comic book stores was always going to be dwindling down but all this did was really kind of speed up the process for a lot of places. Um, So with that said, while 
you know, a lot of you listening are probably getting into comics for the first time. This has been kind of an odd era to do it. But the great thing about this and the great thing about you know, our show is that we've had the opportunity to go back and read comics going back 30, 40 years at this point. Uh, so that way we can give you, Mark and I can give you kind of a, a base level of understanding of the reasons that, you know, we are, we are fans, why we're readers, why we love this genre of superheroes and comics. And, um, you know, please, 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 there's many ways to get a comic online, especially comics that have been out for a while. But if you could please go patron a local comic book store in your area, that does not just wonders for small businesses, but that's what keeps this culture alive. I cannot stress that enough. Do it. Yeah, I actually tried to, to take that advice uh, the other week. I walked to my old comic shop that I hadn't been in, in into in a while. On the map, it said it was open hours-wise. Uh, so, I, of course, I didn't call. I just walked and showed up and to, only to find that they had rented their parking lot out to a taco truck. Uh, the taco truck people told me that they're not opening until October. Uh, which is Even so the taco truck isn't open? No, the taco truck is open. Oh. But the, the people at the taco truck told me that the comic shop's not opening until October. <laughs> Which is just so sad because I, mean, I don't know if it's just, um, you know, it, here in California, you still have to sort of prove, be an essential business of some kind to fully open. Um, or you, I guess they do make exceptions for like uh, restaurants with outdoor seating. I'm not sure if it's Corona related or if he was just taking so many losses at, at that time that he wanted to wait till, till the things were really, really fully back. But that was really sad. And the other store by me, they're basically only open, I found out, on comic book day. And on comic book day, as you can imagine, that like one day they're, they're open – there's a line all the way down the street. So I haven't been able to get anywhere um, because I haven't wanted to drive too far because, you know, I'm, I live in L.A. We don't drive. Yeah, and I mean, this is this has been an interesting time because the, these stores, people don't really understand it. Um, the, these stores are where a lot of writers get their inspiration. It's where a lot of conventions like WonderCon, WonderCon started because of a couple friends that uh, patroned a local comic book store, got together and said, what if we held a giant convention once a year where everyone could get together and sell comics so we can invite some stars and stuff? So, I mean, when I say that there's a whole cultural hotbed that you know comes from these stores i really do mean it it's not just the friendships and relationships you make but um there's something about being surrounded by the endless imagination by hundreds of thousands of writers from over the decade that is is unique and even though we're in a world where we can get digital comics we can get everything online there's still something that makes a comic book store special in a way Indeed, indeed. It's that, I mean, it's to this day when I actually do enter a, a comic book shop and pick up a physical book and open it up, I mean, I instantly am teleported back to my childhood, back to just, you know, perusing the shelves and picking out books that just looked cool. And that is something that's different with digital comics. Uh, it's not often I'm just browsing around and happen to pick something up with digital comics. When I'm looking for digital comics, I usually know what I'm looking for. Like there's something I know is coming out or something I want to get and I want to read it right now. So I just go on a comiXology, hit buy, and then there it is in my hands. But uh, there is some of that magic of just discovery, just discovering random books that you might not uh, discover that is just kind of lost um, in that process. So it's it's always good to head out. I, I can't wait till real conventions exist again. And hopefully you and I can actually head to some conventions uh, well, with this, this Patreon money we're going to be getting in or we've been getting in. And uh, hopefully we can get even 
even more. So, of course, that's a great segue. If you want to support us on Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Uh, we're doing all sorts of stuff for our patrons. We're doing monthly calls uh, for everybody at $15 or higher. At $25 or higher, the epic crossover level, you get a graphic novel mailed to you every three months. That's so awesome. And uh, higher and higher, the perks just go on and on. And the, the more money we're able to get from that, the more time and effort we're going to be putting into this podcast and, and all the sorts of coverage we do, uh, both in the public feed and for our patrons. Absolutely. And I mean, one, one beautiful thing I kind of want to use to segue into our topic today, uh, technology is amazing. And you, you can't always get what you want in the form that you want. The topic of today is Deadpool Pulp. This was a series that I remember seeing on the on the comic rack at Barnes and Noble one time when I was like in ninth grade, way under back. And I remember looking at it thinking I should get it. And I walked past it. I didn't grab it. And strangely enough, this four issue limited series has not been put in an individual trade back. You can only get it if you get the massive Deadpool volume zero omnibus, which is cool. I kind of want to get it, but it's a little bit pricey. I was really hoping that for this, maybe it could just come out as a four issue trade back. But the beautiful thing that is the internet provides us with something called Marvel Unlimited, where you can go on right now and read along with Deadpool Pulp with us. It's a four-issue limited series from the mid-2000s that basically uh, you know, shows us something that I really love about comics. And we don't see this really in film, in books, in TV. It's something that's very uniquely a comic book concept. But um, you know, many of you are probably now more aware of the multiverse than ever before. It was hinted at in Avengers Endgame and we're going to be seeing Doctor Doom in the Multiverse of Madness. And over at DC, they're going to have their Flash film, which uh, shows different continuities. But even for CW viewers, you were given a giant you know, crash course in the multiverse through uh, the Arrowverse's, uh, I think it was Cri- Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is an adaption of the Crisis on Infinite Earths series from 1987, put into uh, a a TV format where it crossed over Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Supergirl, Flash, and Batwoman. So now the idea of a multiverse is something that isn't just for diehard comic book readers. It's something that now everyone is way more up to date on, which is great because often when you're dealing with different continuities and different universes and stuff like that, it can get a little bit confusing. But what I've always loved about this concept is it allows different authors and artists to reimagine the characters and stories we love in a way which is completely separate from the mainstream canon of whatever publisher you're reading, while at the same time being its own great self-contained sort of world. Um, Mark, when was the first time you ever encountered something multiverse-related through comics, and what you know, what was that like trying to figure it out? Uh, for me, when I first started reading comics in the early 90s, aging myself as I uh, like to do sometimes, uh, I really became a big fan of the What If series from Marvel. So that's what first Beautiful. got me th- thinking. I mean, I don't know if they ever have ever gone back and considered any of that quote-unquote multiversal canon, but I always just found the concept so interesting of like diving into different, you know, what if this happened? What if that happened? And I'm trying to think of a good one right now off the top of my head and I'm having trouble doing it. So there I've was a bunch uh, of them. Yeah, like there was one, uh, you know, like one of my favorites was what if Wolverine killed the Hulk? Dude, that I was literally just about to say that. <laughs> it, was, it was literally coming to I, I was picturing something with Wolverine and the Hulk and I was trying to ma- ex- remember exactly what the title was. That's what it was. It was what if Wolverine killed the Hulk? 
Yeah, that that was epic. There was what if the Vision killed the Avengers? Uh, what if there's a lot of what if this guy killed everybody uh, ones? It was, it was pretty popular. Yeah, I mean, what, what's great about this is we, you know, fans always will argue this themselves. It's always turns into the, you know, well, what if this happened differently? That's what really sprung it. It was something that came from fans who recommended it to. I think it was uh, Tom Brevert at uh, at Marvel, and he said, "Hey, can you possibly do like a, a one off? What if this happened in this story?" And what they basically did was they took a lot of the main uh, big big events that were going on in the mainstream. Marvel canon, and they basically did these inverse stories where it basically showed you uh, a story from the what if something went different perspective. And sometimes it's something terrible. Sometimes it's something better. It, it offers people a different way to be creative and really imagine the consequences that go on in these fantastic stories. Yeah, the very first issue of What If, I just looked this up, I didn't know it, uh, but I remembered something with Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. It was, uh, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? And I've never actually read that issue. You know what we should do one of these days? I'm not going to sign us up for a bonus show, as I, I like to, <laughs> as I like to do a lot, but uh, for a real episode, I'm, I'm going to produce one of these at some point. I'm going to do a, a What If deep dive. I'll, I'll pick out, you know, maybe five or six What Ifs, and we'll just we'll just take a look at them, because there's, there's a lot of interesting concepts, and I can't really remember that many of them. I, I know it was a book I picked up a lot, but it's really hard for me to pinpoint exact stories, so I'm really interested to go back and check out some of those yeah and i mean what's great about this is if it weren't for what if and i think what if was also inspired by a uh, dc elseworlds I, I don't remember which one came first i know i know one did copy the other i think i think elseworlds came after what if i, I could be wrong though but what's beautiful Pretty about sure. what it, if it started in 77 oh yeah so elseworlds won't pop up till like the 90s Yes, yeah. So, what if inspired Elseworlds, uh, which gave us like Superman? Eighty nine was the first Elseworlds. Yeah, one is like, uh, oh yeah. So we're we're talking like Frank Miller's Dark Knight. We're talking Superman, Red Sun, two thousands. We're doing uh, what if Batman? I mean, uh, Elseworld, Batman, where he becomes Green Lantern. I mean, so many great stories like this. But what's beautiful is that that whole idea of what if and Elseworlds. Uh, create the idea of different universes with their own continuities. So, you know, being a millennial, one of my biggest introductions to comics were through the Ultimate line through Marvel. Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, the Ultimates, Ultimate Fantastic Four. That was my bread and butter as a teenager. I loved it more than anything else. Ultimate X-Men was my jam. I loved it. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis over at, um, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man, Mark Millar with the Ultimates and Ultimate Fantastic Four. Those were the most hardcore awesome stories i remember and i i'm very i'm very upset that they uh that they've basically destroyed that but i mean that that gives us uh, so many other things we have earth x by alex ross we have um, amazing series yeah absolutely a- a- marvels we have marvels as well Mar- marvels uh Absolute Justice, 1609, the 1609 verse, the zombie verse. There's so many different universes where they were able to basically offshoot different titles and heroes to put them in different timelines, put them in different worlds entirely. And one that often goes, um, you know, it's often forgotten, but this is something that I really remember uh, in high school was the noir series. Now, the noir series is what's really going to help us dive into the the story we're going to talk about today. The Marvel noir was this idea of what if we took some of our best performing characters and we put them in like a detective noir setting between the Great Depression and uh, the post-World War II McCarthy era. And uh, some of you might be more aware of this uh, through – 
Spider-Man Noir, who was voiced by Nicolas Cage in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, where he was all black and white and he couldn't see color and he fought Nazis and he was a detective and all that stuff. That was a noir highlight of that movie. If you had told me that that was going to be Nick Cage like 10 years ago, uh, I wouldn't have thought it was going to happen. But I love it. And he's coming back for the sequel, which means that people loved him, too. Can't really go wrong with Nick Cage, to be honest. No. Uh, his his Ghost Rider, people attack him for his Ghost Rider. I liked his Ghost Rider. I, I liked his uh, Big Daddy and Kick-Ass. I mean, Tom t- uh, Nicholas Cage is a – I almost called him Tom Cage. Nicholas Cage is an American treasure. We need to value him more. Tom Cage is uh, when Luke Cage and Tom King have a, have a baby. We're we're not getting on that again. <laughs> anyway, so what, one of the one, one of the stories from this noir era that I always wanted to read but have only been able to catch up with through Marvel Unlimited is Deadpool Pulp because Deadpool has to be special. Unlike Spider Man Noir and X Men Noir and Punisher and Daredevil Noir, Deadpool you know he's a bit more colorful. So they called his noir title. Deadpool pulp, much like the pulp fiction, the pulp comic books from the from the age that had the real grainy paper. So they decided, you know, we can't go Deadpool noir. It's Deadpool. So we'll make him Deadpool pulp. Same setting, same everything, same continuity. We'll just change up the name a little bit. So that's why some people often say, well, because he didn't have noir in the title, it's not a noir, you know, uh, canon story. But it it is. Everyone at Marvel verified it is. So it, it is part of the noir universe. And See, I didn't uh, realize that was an entire like separate universe itself. I thought this was just kind of a, a one-off thing for Deadpool because I wasn't really familiar with this, this stuff at all. Before. Yeah, Noir didn't – here's the thing about Noir. Each, each title had its own different creative team and none of these crossed over in a sense unlike the other uh, universe titles where there is something kind of weaving them together. Uh, and to a certain degree, I kind of like it this way. I don't think you often need to do that. But th- I think this allows writers and artists to really work on good self-contained stories as long as you're hitting the genre and the tone and the feel. Um, I, I, I think it's fine. And I mean, for example, uh, noir X-Men noir, uh, that got a lot of hate because in that story, the X-Men aren't mutants. There are no mutants. Instead, they are different levels of sociopaths and psychopaths. So like Wolverine is just a guy who happens to think he has like different personalities. The Scarlet Witch is a schizophrenic. Uh, Professor X is a sociopath. He has no feelings. And then, uh, you know, Punisher, he's dealing with like, you know, the, the mobs during the Prohibition era. So like some did it better than others, but it was also this idea of uh, somewhat of a world without powers. I'm pretty sure that um, Daredevil Noir, he didn't have, you know, echolocation or anything. And what bugged a lot of people about um, you know, Spider-Man Noir, and you don't see this in the film or the games, but you see this in the books. He actually doesn't have web shooters. He doesn't have web shooters. He has the strength. He has the ability to crawl on stuff and the agility and stuff, but he doesn't have web shooters. He also uses guns. And for anyone that knows Spider-Man, you know that Spider-Man and guns don't go together. So they did these things that were interesting, but because they took away some of the more distinct elements that made these characters unique, um, a lot of fans were kind of pushed back by it and i mean that's the thing about it with these worlds i mean sometimes what's the point if they're not going to make it somewhat different you know yeah i mean that that's the thing about like i it it didn't bother me too much but a lot of people were were more off put by that it's not like you know the ultimate comics where yeah they changed some things but there's still 
you know, they're still Aunt May and Peter's Parker's world. The Fantastic Four still get their powers through a through an accident. So like people want a differentiation, but at the same time they don't want things to go too different. Which I think, you know, go go hard or go home. Make it completely different. Yeah. Make Superman a communist. Why not? Why not? Why not? If it's a good story, it's a good story. That's that's all I care about. But anyway, we'll go ahead and jump in to Deadpool Pulp, the first issue of this limited series. What we've got now is we've got something that is very different from a regular Deadpool comic. Usually Deadpool comics start out with Deadpool with an inner monologue with his different personalities and voices. This one starts with a very dark world. We see this woman walking into a building. Fur coat, nice hat, looks like a nice lady. But what we see in the last panel is that she happens to be walking into the CIA. And if we know anything, it's that when superheroes and villains get involved with the government, early on a story, something's about to go awry. So she's going up in this building. We don't know who she is yet or what's going on, but we can hear um, a radio in the background playing some good old, you know, 1950s music. We have uh, an elevator operator, which also, I mean, just just to say elevator operator out loud, should tell you what, what era we're dealing with. He's holding up a copy of the Washington Post that talks about the McCarthy hearings. So what they were really trying to do is let you know, okay, not only is the tone different, but this is in a completely different time completely detached from the Marvel continuity that we're seeing. Uh, lady goes into the elevators. They go up a floor. There are several men that come in. And these guys look like your classic G-men wearing suits and you know fedoras and everything. Real, real madmen business-like. But something, something's going on. They all look at the woman, and at this point, we're thinking, okay, this is kind of strange. I love the the artwork here, because by casting everyone else in dark shadows, by having her in the center of it with color, it really makes you feel like you're isolating in. And with this, it makes you think, oh, God, what's going to happen? Something's not right. But... You're, you're right and you're wrong in the same way. What ends up happening is, yes, yeah, something's not right, but nothing's going to happen to her. It's the guys who we think are going to harm her that we should be worried about. Because some guy starts coughing and she offers him a handkerchief and as he coughs into it, he sees blood and what do you know next? Everyone collapses. So this chick is up to something. But as soon as one guy collapses, um, she turns around, she sees four other G-men. They start fighting left and right and this chick is stabbing people. And what's beautiful is like with this noir theme, everything's in really dark shades. So when she starts like cutting people and slitting throats and stuff, that is some bright red blood. It is just real poignant and in your face. And I mean, she just massacres everyone in there. And it's it, it's it's something out of a film. It's something really out of like a Cold War spy film with, you know, this this honeypotting agent, beautiful woman, don't think she's any danger. Well, she just killed like a ton of men in cold blood. So an hour later, we're in the office of J. Edgar Hoover, a uh, real life figure, director of the FBI at the time. And he's got two guys that we kind of kind of recognize. And this is what's funny. And this is what I love about these types of stories. We get to see the characters that we're familiar with in completely different situations. And we've got um, Strife and Cable. They literally are just referred to as Strife and Cable. You've got General Cable, and then you've got Agent Strife. And for anyone that knows anything, it's that you know in in the Marvel yeah, you got Universe about three proper. Three hours to uh, to explain this, the the Cable Strife. Uh, I will I will break it down. Stupid. Basically, Strife is a clone of Cable, and they both have messed up eyes. And what what I think is kind They're of funny both in the future. Yeah, and what what I think is funny about this is you see them right next to next to each other sitting down. You've got Cable in a in a 
military outfit and you've got Strife wearing a suit. Like they both have their messed up eyes with the scars and everything and they look alike and they're calling each other literally Strife and Cable. So this is laying it out a little bit thick. I think it's funny. But, uh, you know, they're talking about um, the nuclear briefcase that was stolen from the CIA. So automatically we know that something's up. And Strife and Cable are arguing with J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, nothing's, you know, really working out. So they're like, we got to bring in somebody, find this woman. She just took down all our men. Uh, do we have an option? And Cable is like, yeah, I've got an option. They're talking about somebody named Codename Deadpool. Now we're off somewhere else entirely. We're seeing uh, Deadpool not disfigured, I want to mention. He's not disfigured. We don't, he doesn't look like the messed up Deadpool, you know, the, uh, one avocado fucked an ugly avocado as Weasel from the Deadpool film said. He looks like a regular person and he's playing Russian roulette somewhere. And, um, because of course he is. Because why not? He's Deadpool and he's got people cheering. He looks like he's like in Vietnam or something. And basically he wins. And we've got this inner monologue going where, um, you know, they're, Strife and Cable are talking about Wilson. They're like, do we want to bring him involved? Do we not want to get him involved? Not only does he, win, he wins cannon. and kills like six people in the process. Yeah, and I mean, we're we're really starting to see that you know this Deadpool is. It, he, he, here's the he, here's where I want to kind of pivot. Deadpool is a funny character. Deadpool is a slapstick character, but I think there's often a misconception of Deadpool now. Deadpool is not just constantly always cracking jokes. Deadpool originally was introduced as a villain. And even though he's turned into more of an anti-hero over the decades, he's also a extremely mentally ill person. He's just got problems off of problems. And this is where we get exposed to a little bit of what makes this Deadpool tick. So far, we haven't seen him talk or anything. As soon as the scene with the Russian roulette moment ends, we're taken back. What I could assume is Vietnam. Everything is shaded blue, which usually signifies it's a flashback. And somebody's torturing the shit out of him. They've got a rat that's about to go eat his dick or something. Like, it's it's pretty horrible. And we see him screening. Then we go back to the table. And what happens, as Mark mentioned, he just starts killing everybody. That's the Deadpool we know. He starts killing everybody. Then what he does is he leaves the building and he sets it on fire. Goes back to his room and what do we see? We see him put on his Deadpool ninja outfit. And it looks a bit different. It looks kind of cool. But, it's uh, like he, Daredevil. Like Daredevil meets Deadpool. It, it's more ninja-like. Like he doesn't have all the all the gadgets and stuff. He looks more like a ninja. Uh, so what, what do we see happen? Obviously, those people he killed were important people. We see some soldiers come in, kick down the door. They're about to get him. He's already been waiting for him, and he just mows them down like it's freaking nothing. He escapes, and uh, that's about it. He ends up getting back to Langley, back to the CIA, and he's in the middle of a of a basically a psych eval. Uh, Strife wanted him to do it. Even though Cable was like, no, we just need him. Strife was like, no, we got to check to make sure he's all right. So um, he's doing this psyche eval. And I I think that is actually one of the funniest parts of the entire story. It's understanding really what makes this Deadpool tick. And it's funny because the questions are like, tell me about your mother, whore. Father, lumberjack. You, which one? And uh, it it just gets really, really kind of meta at this point because – he starts talking about the voices and the the psychi- the psychologist is like, well, there's more than one voice. And Deadpool's like, we all have our own Jimmy Cricket, don't we? And he's like, are you talking about conscious? He's like, well, that's a word for it. And he's like, well, there's another. And he's like, yeah, there's the truth one. And they, they start to basically show you that this Deadpool is insanely damaged. Like yeah, they, they show at least like 
they show it through the different fonts they use. It seems like there's at least two voices inside the head of this Wade Wilson dead slash Deadpool. Uh, it's unclear to me if, if one of them is like the real one or if, you know, if, if both of them are competing uh, against sort of like if both of them are kind of voices within the quote unquote real Wade Wilson. Uh, but they make it really clear there's there's multiple personalities going on within this head that, 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 talk, that talk to each other and talk to Wade yeah, and I mean, what we've seen is that they've got kind of a dark sense of humor, but this is not really the funny ha-ha Deadpool. This is kind of like a – this is Deadpool by Quentin Tarantino-ish. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, we, we go back to another flashback. This guy's just getting tortured left and right. And um, it's – it's it's brutal. We see that he, you know, Deadpool is able to eventually escape, but he kills his torture, and he's able to get out. And it's just it's it's just bad. But long story short, he's able to basically get the pass from the psychologist because Cable and Strife are like, "Well, let's just go ahead and go with it." And uh, as he walks out and he talks to Cable, Deadpool ba- is basically given the assignment that he has to go find this woman codenamed Outlaw, the woman that we saw in the elevator killing all the CIA agents. So that that's basically issue one. It's giving you an idea of what the stakes are and who we're dealing with. And who we're dealing with, yeah, it's Deadpool, but it's somewhat Deadpool in name only, and it's definitely got some of the characteristics of Deadpool, but in a way that's really focusing on the split personalities and the trauma. Uh, Mark, just for, you know, right off the bat, what 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 do you th- what do you think of the take that they're going with? Well, I, ha- I had no idea what this was going to be going in at all. I did that intentionally. I, I intentionally like didn't even research what I was getting. I didn't even know this is going to be an Elseworlds story going in. I-, I kind of had a feeling it was going to be, but I didn't really know. Uh, obviously, that became really clear very quickly uh, when we saw these you know different versions of Cable and Strife, and uh, <laughs> realized this is taking place in like the 1950s during the McCarthy era. Um, but um, t- to me, it was more like I'm just trying to figure out what's going on as I- as I go. Um, but they, the-, the it's really the art that stood out to me in this first issue, um, like. Like you kind of said before, it's it feel they really make it feel like a movie, and uh, like especially like the use of coloring, uh, like you referenced in that first uh, that first sort of uh, section of the book uh, when when the woman goes into the CIA and they they kind of have like sort of like a light on her coloring wise, and then how they use the red of the blood uh, when she's killing everybody in there. I mean, just just all of it really does feel like a Quentin Tarantino Tino movie in every way, shape, and form here, um, and I really. I wasn't like all the way sucked into the story from like off the bat. I think I got more and more into it as we go through these different issues, but it, it left me enough of a mystery of like, what is this exactly the deal of this world here um, that I really wanted to, to, you know, continue to find out what was going on. But more than anything else, it was just the art. It was just, this is just a beautiful thing to look at. This is a beautiful book to look at. And it, it really just feels like you are watching a movie in book form. They really do a good job of making it feel um, like, I guess pulpy would be the word pulpy, but uh, sort of realistic feeling like it doesn't feel like a, a superhero book at all in terms of the artwork yeah i mean the, the the vibes i get are like maltese falcon dick tracy really that 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 la noir type of vibe that it comes with it and that, and that's what i really like about it the, i would agree with you the first issue i think if, if i had been reading this as a month by month series I don't know if I would necessarily say, oh, this is this has really sucked me in. I think it's been really good at setting the stage and letting you know what's going to happen. But it, it doesn't it doesn't have some of the elements that one you expect from Deadpool two are needed to make it as compelling. You just know evil woman steals something crazy government agent has weird issues. versions of cable and strife. 
Yeah, I, I think I think the additions of Cable and Strife there are cool. It's just that it's a bit it's a bit on the nose. So I mean, it's it's cool. I, mean, I like that they have Deadpool closely related characters. I mean, Deadpool is is very much uh, intertwined with Cable in many ways in the comics. Yeah. So I like that it's it's characters that even in the current you know the regular continuity, uh, you would find near Deadpool in some way, shape, or form. So I mean, there was part of me that was expecting this to uh, uh to end with like uh, it's Wade Wilson's in all in Wade Wilson's mind, and that's why he's creating characters like you know using characters from his real life. Uh, I wasn't even clear exactly how Elseworlds esque this actually was, or if it was gonna sort of come back into reality at some point yeah i mean i think if i if i did not already know who these people were if i was like a first-time reader i would be kind of confused oh yeah if you don't know who cable and strife are i mean that uh, yeah it definitely adds context knowing who they are in the regular you know continuity yeah otherwise they're just two dudes with weird names with a weird eye Exactly. And and going on to issue two, now we're really actually starting to get into the mission. So what we see is something that's typical of a detective film uh, from the 50s where you see his detective go to a bar and he's like, where, where, where's the, where's the culprit? You know, where, where, who, where's the person I'm looking for? Where's the woman? But he's just beating the shit out of a bartender and he's asking like, you know, where is she? Have you seen this person? Do you know this guy? And he, you know, he's just beating the crap out of people. Right now he's looking for a scientist. And, um, you know, he's going around and, oh, it happens to also be Mardi Gras. So he's in a costume. There are other people in costume. They they think that they know the guy, but what they basically do is they challenge him to a round of drinks. So he just starts drinking with them. So we just went from him beating up the bartender to now him taking shots of random strangers as he's looking for uh, some government scientist who's also possibly connected to the woman. And it is kind of weird because you see him uh, go into another set of the club. It looks more like a speakeasy. And he's, uh, you know, talking around. Everyone else is in suits, and he's just walking in with his costume. It just seems kind of odd because they're trying to make it seem like ultra real. But then when you have someone like Deadpool walking in, it just seems a little bit off. And he's interrogating, and I gotta say the dialogue feels kind of flat. Um, you know, he's just talking to this woman, and it's just a lot of a lot of small talk. And I, I don't really. I don't really dig this part. But anyway, he's talking to this one woman. She's like, oh, yeah, I know the dude. She takes him outside. It kind of reminds me of um, Thunderball where they're in uh, Jamaica and James Bond walks out into this parade with the woman. And then there are a bunch of other people and they're like, oh, uh, the, the woman set you up. We're, we're here to kill you now. And what ends up happening, it basically is what you imagine. He just, he, you know, she set him up and now Deadpool's killing all of her goons. So uh, he he's you know he's slicing and dicing and then then basically it just randomly shifts over to this moment where we see uh, Strife and Cable. I think they're playing squash at a local gym. It's just so odd. This is one of those moments where it's like I'm reading this and I'm like, if I was not into comics, would I really catch what's happening? It's just so weird. They're basically at like a rec center. They're playing sports and they're trying to basically see uh you know if what they're doing is right because cable is like you know i think the mccarthyism and everything going on hunting the communists is too far and strife is like well you know it's not far enough until we find every commie and it's just you, you read this and you don't really know whether it's going to matter to the story but uh anyway the the woman deadpool didn't kill her she's like don't kill me and he's like well take me to the guy's apartment they go to the guy's apartment and as they go in it's completely trash there's nothing there but there is a weird letter with wade written on there not many people know i don't think we've been introduced to deadpool as wade yet he's only been referred to as deadpool so even though we've seen some flashbacks of him being tortured in uh you know in some in some foreign country now we're getting to realize wait whoever knows him this is this is personal because he's like oh that's my name 
And uh, we all know what the letter says, but in the next panel, it takes him to a restaurant. He's dressed in a suit and tie. And, you know, the the, the one thing I, I think anybody who knows Deadpool knows, he doesn't, you know, like he's disfigured. He's a freak. So we see him like as a James Bond-esque figure now. And this is where I think it's a little bit interesting. We're getting to really see a really different Deadpool. So kudos for going the extra step to be different. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like it could pick up a little bit more. So he, he goes to this club and he sees the woman that we saw in the elevator steal the nuclear briefcase. And uh, long story short, we find out she is outlaw and, you know, he knows her and she knows him and they happen to be an item. So they're sitting there, they're flirting. And uh, Renzo, they, I have a question. Is yeah. outlaw a real character in Marvel Comics that Deadpool yes. interacts with? Yes, and she she she's a she's very much a Deadpool specific character. She's never really been in anything else. And what what's funny is like, and this is it's good or bad based off what you're expecting from this. Outlaw in the comics is this you know real sexy cowboy like mercenary, and she's you know she speaks with a southern accent and a twang, and she's always flirty. But here we have Outlaw, and she's like a, a generic Bond villain. That's the best way to do it. She's a generic Bond female villain. Um, you know, Deadpool is like, you know, are you gonna give me the briefcase? Are you gonna tell me what's going on? She's like, nope, I'm probably just gonna kill you. And they're like, oh, we might as well go dance. So it, it feels, it feels like they ripped it out of a James Bond film. It really is very James Bondy. And at this point, I'm, I'm enjoying the story, like seeing where it's going. But I think up to now, there's, there's nothing that tells me that this is a Deadpool story. Like you could have not told me, called him Deadpool, and I wouldn't know this is a Deadpool story necessarily right now. Which yeah. is okay because this is a different take, and I'm you know when it's an Elseworlds or a what if type thing, I'm cool with that. And especially for me, I'm not really that familiar with the character of Deadpool. He wasn't really a, a huge thing in, when I first started reading. Um, most of my familiarity with Deadpool comes from the movies and the occasional appearance in comics. I've never really read Deadpool series. I've never really read any Deadpool stories. Uh, so as my first dip into the character in a regular story, I'm probably not getting, you know, really what Deadpool is typically, but I'm still enjoying sort of seeing where it goes. Although it, it feels a little bit slow, I, I will say just because it was just a lot, which is hard to say about only being in the second issue. But I think just because it's not, especially maybe with the character of Deadpool, you're just expecting constant action and there's good action. There's decent action. Uh, whenever he gets into a big fight against like, you know, 25 dudes in an alley, but then it gets, it slows down a little bit in some of these other sort Sort of uh, more James Bond's esky scenes. Um, so it's yeah. slow, but uh, it's keeping my curiosity. I guess. I yeah, I mean, at this point, as I was reading it, I, I you know, the, the dialogue just goes on for too long. And by the time he sits down with with uh, Outlaw, and then they go up to dance in the ballroom. I mean, it's like four pages. And uh, yeah, I mean, the the artwork here is really compelling. I, I really have nothing negative to say about the art. I really like it. But then you know, four pages in them talking and dancing, they eventually pull guns out on each other. They're about to kill each other. They start fighting. Uh, Outlaw gets one shot into Deadpool's arm. So other people are freaking out now. There are guns everywhere. So it, it turns into a, basically a James Bond chase scene. And she gets away. She, uh, she, she's able to basically jump around a few corners. Deadpool thinks that you know he saw her jump on a carriage. So he hijacks a funeral carriage, kicks the coffin off. You see a dead woman lying there. And you know, it's, it's that type of moment where it's, it's kind of funny. And I mean, the, there's not a lot. It goes from a lot of dialogue to very little dialogue and a few thought bubbles. And now it's just action. It's just him you know, jumping around things, uh, jumping down fire escapes, you know, getting into crowds and five pages of this and what you're basically told is 
that, yeah, he, he lost Outlaw. So that that's the end of issue two. Basically, now we have it confirmed that Deadpool's name is Wade Wilson. He had a relationship with Outlaw at some point, and that Outlaw does, in fact, have the nuclear briefcase and killed the scientist who basically gave her the, the insights of how to go get it in the CIA. So that that's the end of issue two. It, uh, it, it, I think everything he says is accurate. It's it's interesting enough to keep you going, but they they try very hard to make it a noir story. So they're, you, we're seeing a lot of those tropes in there. So it becomes a little bit predictable, and then it, it kind of flattens, and then we have these quick bursts of action scenes where it's like all the dialogue goes away, and now it's just you know fighting and chasing and everything. Yeah, I think at this point it's it's keeping my interest because I'm I'm kind of curious where the story is going. But it's it's more than anything else. It's the art that's really keeping me engaged because the because the art is just fantastic, and I, I just love I love the feel of the book. I love um, even like when he said it takes maybe four pages too long uh, of of dialogue, uh, you know, of him talking to Outlaw. But at least it's like really really nice to look at along the way, and it does feel like you almost feel like you're in in a scene of a movie of like a James Bond movie. So yeah. um, I, I think I'm really enjoying it at this point, like stylistically more so necessarily than the story. Although the story is is fine, it's just that it's it's slow playing out. You know, we're at the end of the second episode. Uh, second episode. <laughs> Here I go again. The second issue, and uh, we're still not exactly sure what's going on. Yeah, and I, mean, I really want to highlight the art by Lawrence Campbell and the colors by uh, Lee, Lee Luffridge. I've seen uh, Lawrence Campbell do Deadpool and other stuff, and uh, with different colorists, you get different tones. Sometimes it's brighter depending on the story. Sometimes they go for a really different color palette to really sync on a certain theme. But I think with uh, him and Lee Luffridge, I mean, this is – if I wanted a noir story, I would want these guys doing everything. I mean, the art – I have no complaints about it. I, I know exactly what I'm getting, and they know how to take things scene by scene and make it different, much like a film. So it's very cinematic, and that's that that that's why I that's why I really kept going forward. Because I mean, when they do when they do action, when they do some of those great uh, burst scenes of fights and stuff, it's it's picture perfect, really. Yeah, it really is. It's 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 a beautiful book. Yeah. So going on to issue three, uh, Wade is back at the scientist's apartment and he's going through things. And I mean, it's uh, it, it's just he, he's trying to figure out, like, what else do I need to know? And he finds a file that talks about a, a ship called the Coral Balance in Havana, Cuba. And that that's the only lead he has. He's like, well, obviously nothing else here is telling me anything. I should probably go to Cuba. I mean, just talk about absolute 1950s evil location. It's going to be Havana at this time, uh, right around Castro. And, uh, you know, he, he goes back into another. And I think this probably, at least in, uh, in real continuity, real life continuity, this would have been probably pre-revolution when uh, Cuba was still a little bit more run by like the, the American mob, which we'll, we'll find a direct tie into with who he ends up meeting up with here. Yeah, and he he ends up going to Cuba, and we we get another flashback. This time, we're back at whatever prisoner camp he was at. We still don't know where. I don't think it's Vietnam because the Vietnam War isn't going to happen for like another 16 years. But we could think it's probably like Laos or Cambodia, one of those places post-Chinese communist revolution. Um, He's carrying another prisoner. We have not seen the prisoner's face, but, uh, you know, Wade, Wade goes and he meets with this mob boss in Havana that somehow he met you know like any other good spy detective they have a network of people this dude looks like um you know he's he's just a family man we're thinking what is wade doing talking to this guy but then he brings him into his house they go into the basement what do we see jewish man just you know celebrating passover yep instead they're 
torturing somebody in the basement. We see some mobsters just waterboarding, beating this dude. It's not a pretty sight. And uh, they're they're trying to figure out what happens. They end up, um, you know, interrogating him and all this other stuff. And he gets uh, gets some information, basically saying, you know, I'm here because there's this group here that's uh, setting up a camp, and we don't know if they're communists, we don't know if they're Americans. They're just bad dudes, and they're also not the mob. So that means they're not this guy's friends at all. We're still trying to get this vague mystery understood so they they leave and what we get back to is uh we're we're seeing i think yeah that's strife that's strife in the no that's cable i think that's cable. that's the thing they they, and like they they keep changing outfits with which i think keeps it like fresh but at the same time it's like unless they really say what's going on we see uh we see cable cable has like the grayer the grayer white hair basically yeah, so he's in this. Okay, so this is Cable, and this is one of the things where it's like, okay, I get what they're doing. I want to touch on before it's... we move on to this scene, uh, who this guy is, because I'm not sure if you actually realize who it is, because they, they, they mentioned who he is. Uh, Wade says Meyer Lans- Lansky are too kind. Uh, real is that, life, is that Meyer... a person? Yes, Meyer Lansky. Oh, shit, real really? Life. Yes. So I did not like know a, that. A real-life person that they're, they're referencing Wade Wilson knowing here. And uh, in real life, My- <clears throat> Meyer Lansky was uh, basically this – He's basically he was known as like the mob's accountant. Uh, he was big in, um, you know, big in like the Jewish mob, but his power also extended into the Italian mob. And uh, he was heavily involved in uh, gambling operations in Las Vegas, uh, in Florida and in Cuba. So this is uh, there's a specific reason that they have this person being in Cuba at this time um, and being sort of a, a shifty mobster. So this is, I, this is a real person, Meyer Lansky. I am so glad you picked it up because I just thought he was just a random person there. I thought they were giving too much I, too much information about some random side character. Yeah, I recognize the name, I, I, and I didn't exactly remember everything, so I, I looked up like, "Wait, who is this guy?" And then, uh, then it all kind of came back to me. But it's definitely a name I've heard before. He's he's referenced in probably a good amount of like mob movies and that, and that sort of thing. So it's probably a name you've heard before. Probably, I just didn't put two and two together. That is cool. That That's is cool. why I'm here. <laughs> uh, usually, a guy with the needless information, but t- t- this week I got it. This is this is a history lesson in the making. So anyway, I figured it out. We're back at the FBI headquarters with Cable. An agent walks in showing him some evidence. And what we basically see is that we've got some photos taken from somebody in the field. And it is Strife meeting with Outlaw. And Cable looks at this and he's like, you've got to be kidding me. Bloody Christmas. So he takes it over to Hoover's office. He's like, you won't believe what's going on. General Strife has crossed the line. And what we think is Jake or Hoover facing the window in his chair. He turns around. What do we see? We see Strife. So Strife knows. Cable knows. Cable knows. Strife knows. They don't know what's happening. And, you know, what he does know is that basically Strife helped coordinate this whole theft of the nuclear briefcase. So what does this mean? This means that we're about to see this giant knockdown fight between Strife and Cable. Um, I thought it would be a bit more, you know, gut-wrenching, gut real hardcore, but Strife really just wipes the floor with Cable. It's it, it's it's really a one-sided fight. Yeah, it was uh, not much of a matchup. Yeah. but winning. But but here's the other thing, um, you know, he, he he he's trying to get into Cable's mind at this point. And this is another reason why, like, if you know more about these characters, you know that some of these intricate scenes where, um, you know, Strife is basically saying that Outlaw, yeah, she might have the suitcase, but we've got we've got people who will activate it for her, people that might not be willing. And Strife basically tries to convince that 
tries to convince Cable that Cable might potentially be a sleeper agent. Now, Strife in the main comics has uh, psychokinetic abilities and is actually able to implant uh, thoughts and stuff in people's mind. So while in the main Marvel comics he's a mutant with the ability to do that, now he's just a real deceptive, cunning, you know, cunning uh, espionage guy. And he's even making General Cable think, wait, what, what are you trying to say? That adds a layer to it for me because I didn't realize that that was a power that he had in the comics. So that that's interesting because he does the he says the code word. Uh, what's the code word that you can tell the cable snaps into like into a spell? Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's like uh, transit transit Gloria Gloria Mundi. Mundi. Yeah. Try saying that twenty times. Uh, yeah. So transit Gloria Mundi. Yeah. So in that last Gloria panel, Gloria. cable freezes. We don't know if that is true. Or we don't know if Cable is like, what, what the hell is he doing? So that's left up to... Yeah, it's hard basically. to tell if he's just... I mean, we figure it out later on, but if he's just... If he's actually being, like, hypnotized here or if he's just in shock of what he just heard for some reason. Yeah. So now we're, we're back in the jungle and Deadpool is being taken basically to this potential camp where Outlaw and these potential communists are and everything else. And uh, just like last time, he trusted somebody to take him somewhere. He's ambushed. You see a bunch of Cuban revolutionaries. And then they start firing at him, and then we go back to another flashback. Now, it's back to Deadpool helping another POW escape that uh, POW camp. And, you know, they know they're being chased, but they're at the end of this cliff, and they're like, listen, the only way we could get out of here is if we jump. So they both jump, and then we go back to uh, another scene where we see Outlaw in the forest. We see the Doctor is alive, and the Doctor has brought some, and, uh, you know, Outlaw has brought somebody else. Um, Deadpool runs back into the forest. He's, he's surrounded by, by more gorillas. And I mean, all of this is moving kind of fast. So if it sounds like I'm kind of just vaguely jumping, I mean, that's, that's the only way I could really describe it. One person's running around, the next person's running around. We don't really know if they're in the same vicinity of each other or if these are two separate locations. But, uh, you know, Deadpool is on the run. Then finally somebody grabs a sniper and shoots him in the head. And, uh, you know, at this point we also need a preface. He doesn't have powers. He has no powers. He has no regenerative capability. So if this was an average average Deadpool comic, he gets shot in the head. Oh, yeah, it's gory and stuff, but it won't kill him. Now we see him, and after all this, we know you know he's a tortured soul, mentally ill, brutal killer, shot in the head, doesn't have his powers. We think he's actually dead. But from what we can see, it just grazed him, uh, took off a little bit of his noggin. But uh, things aren't working out well. And then Deadpool wakes up and he's like, oh, I, I can at least find the scientist. And what does he see? He sees that outlaw has killed the scientist. And it's pretty gory. He's he, he's strung up to a tree by his legs and his throat has been slit. It's a it's it's a pretty it, it's a pretty impactful scene. So at this point, Deadpool's like, what the hell? What is going on? And uh, that's when General Strife shows up with Cable. And as Strife is talking, he's like, oh, look, we're going to have ourselves a little reunion. We basically see the flashbacks of Deadpool after him and that guy jumped off the cliff. And what we see is that the guy who he saved was Cable. So now we're starting to see how all these people really know each other and why Cable is so adamant about getting Deadpool on the mission because he trusts him. But he sees that Cable's acting weird and Strife is still talking about what's going on. Long story short, uh, all these flashbacks lead up to this moment to show this one thing. Uh, Deadpool was never on a mission. 
He was basically in this giant mind game Stanford prison experiment. Everyone who was torturing him were the CIA, and they were basically trying to create the ultimate weapon, the ultimate series of sleeper agents. So both him, so both Deadpool and Cable were basically indoctrinated into thinking they had been kidnapped behind enemy lines, but it was really the CIA trying to create these these uh, sleeper agents, these massive killers at Strife's command. So now we know why we're seeing so much. So now the backstory and the main story really meet up at this point. Right yeah, there. He was meant to think that he was in a Japanese prison camp. Uh, and but he was actually just there in Guantanamo on Cuba, which is why uh, you know during that that part where he's going to the jungle, he's he's saying, well, this this seems familiar, but I, I haven't been here. I couldn't have been here. I've never been to Cuba. Uh, and then you realize that why it seems so familiar to him uh, because his entire origin story that we saw in the first issue was essentially a lie, or it did really happen to him, but it happened in a completely contrived way in, in this sort of this uh, this attempt to create these sort of super soldier type. Uh, type agents basically sleeper agents and uh yeah that it's really uh, it's really an interesting revelation because you don't you really don't see it coming and to me this added to like maybe some previous somewhat boredom with the story really became really interesting with this with this twist of things to me yeah i mean it's uh it, it's one of those moments where you get to see the payoff because i think it was a little bit frustrating it's like you know we've got these two competing storylines and what i don't like is when there's a, a there's that vague and definite ending to them so for them to get finally to it in issue three so now we're really caught up with everything the way they are now it now it's actually picked up and, and at the beginning of issue three strife is basically showing the evolution of this program where it's like you know they were basically trying to find soldiers to be sleeper agents to go on assassinations and do operations and missions that they typically wouldn't want to do and strife you know while he was is definitely doing this on behalf of the government he also has his own motivations he he hates he hates uh you know the enemy so much he's willing to basically break his own people in order to do this and what we've seen is that uh cable who's obviously under strife's command now because he said that code that code phrase um he's not talking he's just a drone and deadpool who was shot in the head earlier and is trying to figure all this out now he's wondering you know what if these voices are my voices or are they their voices mm-hmm. so now we get to see Deadpool really trying to figure shit out a little bit more. And, uh, you know, as Strife thinks he's going to get Deadpool to basically join him, uh, Deadpool does the one thing no one expected. He goes and punches Cable. What he basically did by doing that was he um, he basically knocked Cable back his, to his senses, kills a couple soldiers, attacks Strife. And this is what's crazy. Um, I, I want to go back uh, to uh, Strife's kind of little rant here when he's yeah. basically explaining everything to Deadpool. Because this is when I started to say, oh, this is this is why Remzo really likes the story. Because Strife goes into this whole rant about how, you know, he basically is revealing that, that there's a secret government. He's like, "We're b- people like me are behind the scenes uh controlling things and uh trying to you know bring out the best world possible through american domination through these machinations that were you know basically it's basically laying out a giant conspiracy that um that he is uh you know the controlling things behind the scenes along with this other sort of group of world elites that uh he also references like the british did a pretty good job with colonialism but they didn't have it all the way down they didn't have the power and the might so uh his whole thing is pushing the american power of uh, the the power of the american empire and rationalizing all of this is that this is the way to create the best world uh so he is sort of a villain in the sense that he really does believe uh what he's doing he believes what he's doing is right he believes that being part of this elite that is controlling things behind the scenes is the right thing to do is the best way uh to to sort of uh to 
control the world, I guess, or to, to have the best outcome in the world is for this elite group to control the world. Uh, so he's completely justified in his mind, in his actions. And I, I just really like this whole explanation of things. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you went back to cover it because now what we've seen is that the stakes are bigger. It's not just one theft and, you know, a couple scientists dead. Now this is potential global domination on a very Bond-esque scale. So this is where you really get to see those quintessential villains where it's like we're part of the mass conspiracy and we're really here for global domination. And what I love is, uh, you know, um, Deadpool is basically mad because Strife made him the person he is and he takes off his mask. And uh, earlier, uh, right, right before Deadpool punched Cable, Strife ordered Cable to kill Deadpool. And um, th- this is what's funny. Deadpool takes off his mask. He puts it on Stripe, grabs a stapler. And this is probably far the best part of the issue. He starts stapling his mask to Strife's face. So Cable wakes up and he goes. It took and me he- a second to realize why he was doing this. I thought, <laughs> I thought he was just being a dick. Like. <laughs> That would have been very, very Deadpoolish. But what he basically does is he, you know, because Cable's like killed Deadpool, he sees the mask. He sees, oh, that's Deadpool. He goes and he basically murders Strife, and it's it's pretty awesome. And what's cooler is right before he actually kills him, uh, th- he this kill is him like, yet here. So he, yeah, he doesn't kill him left. Like right before he does it, you think he kills him in that panel, but what you see is Strife still alive. They they chained him to a bomb. And this is like very Doctor Strange love. Like Strife is like, what are you, what are you wasting your breath about? I'm not telling you anything else. And Deadpool and Cable, very, very buddy cop like. They're like, ah, eh, we're we're not really, we're not really, really like, worried. You already told us everything, man. We don't need to know anything. This isn't about that. Yeah, this is. Uh, we're just oh, getting our, we're getting our, your comeuppance. Is what's happening. Yeah, I, I love this part right before they 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 do the peace de resistance. Deadpool's like, you've done your country a great disservice, you piece of crap. And then. Cable is like, General, this isn't protocol. It's personal. Send Satan my best. And they're in a plane, and they open the hatch. They drop the bomb, and Strife is falling. And he's like, no! And then he blows up. Those two pages are, I think, the best two pages of this series thus far. Yeah, for sure. I I love that those panels as well. I mean, I don't know if it's my favorite of the series. I really liked, I think I still really like that opening scene uh, where Outlaw is just killing everybody, but, um, and a couple of the scenes with Deadpool fighting, but yeah, it's, it's really nice. Yeah, I mean, it's very, I think what they've done is they've taken so many elements of so many different stories and films and books from that era that to put it here and to see it the way it is, it's it's pretty beautiful. So right after that, uh, we see Outlaw at the Statue of Liberty on 4th of July, and we think that she's going to set off a bomb somewhere there. And who do we see turn around? We see, um, you know, uh, Deadpool, and he's like, you know, uh, Outlaw, you don't have to do this. Uh, you know, I could save you. We can run away. And then, uh, you know, she's like, I'm not one of Strife's sleeper agents. I'm just bad. And she and ends up. Wade's like, Wade's like, hey, don't worry. I, I realize I know what Strife was doing. I know that you just like, you know, we're under control. And, you know, she's basically like, yeah, sorry, Wade. No, I'm just I'm just actually bad. Yeah. And, and what we see happen as soon as he kisses her is that she handcuffs him and the and the nuclear suitcase to uh, a railing on the Statue of Liberty. And this is very Bond girl-esque. We see she has like this flight suit and she jumps off. And as she's, um, you know, just completely free falling off of, well, control falling, gliding off the torch of the Statue of Liberty, Wade sees a fire hose. He kicks the fire hose, breaks the railing, ties it up real fast, and then he jumps after her. And as soon as he jumps after her, he bumps into her and they're both landing in the water. And, uh, 
you know, we, we're, we're just wondering, okay, who's alive, who's dead? So she gets out. She sees a boat. She goes over to the ladder on the side of the boat, and this fisherman's like, hey, what? what? And the sailor is like, hey, lady, what, what are you doing? She gets up, and she just straight up murks everyone. She's killing all the civilians. And now we're like, oh, this is, this, this is a real bad bitch right here. Deadpool, we see him alive. He's injured. Somehow he's able to get his costume on between that. I don't know if he was wearing it under the yeah, suit earlier, sure but happened. yeah, but he wasn't wearing it earlier. So see him in costume again is kind of strange, but whatever. I assume he wears it underneath. Yeah, sure. So they they get up and uh, they start fighting, and once again, Deadpool goes and he grabs the other handcuff and handcuffs her to the suitcase, which he is still handcuffed to. And uh, they they talk and then they start fighting again, and. Basically, what he ends up doing, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pulling up. I've, I've got the comic here. I always, just so you know about me, folks, I, I read it, but then I go back because I like to see the artwork and everything. But they're fighting each other. Um, Deadpool gets over to the, uh, to the control room in the ship. He's getting the, the ship away from Manhattan and Staten Island and everything else because he knows like this bomb's gonna go off. So he ends up pushing as far away from the coast as possible. He sees an anchor outside. So what he does is he hitches him and Outlaw to the anchor. Uh, Somehow he's been able to uncuff his lock. So what he basically does is as the anchor falls down, he has Outlaw tied to the anchor, tied to the briefcase. He kisses her goodbye, gets out of his handcuff, floats back up, and then... We don't, we don't see him get away fast enough or anything else, but then there's the explosion. And from all intents and purposes, everyone else on the mainland is safe, but Outlaw's dead, the bomb's gone off, and for all intents and purposes, Deadpool is dead. But a few panels after that explosion, we see some guys in hazmat suits potentially recovering Deadpool, and that's what leads us to uh, the next page. It jumps over to, I think that's Walter Reed Hospital. We see... Um, Cable and somebody else walk into this room, and this is where we see the Deadpool that we're all kind of familiar with. This guy's disfigured, burned, looks like shit. Um, Cable walks in, and he's like, soldier, uh, your country owes you a great deal of great gratitude. And Wade is like, I'd settle for a stiff drink, and if you want to pin me a medal, keep it for yourself. But then... We see, and I want to point this out, and this is one of those moments where if you're a comic book guy, you will get this. But if you're a first-time reader, something you might not get. The dude right next to Strife has certain key characteristics of a very important X-Men character. He has a Canadian uh, oak leaf lapel pin, so we know he's Canadian, but his glasses. One... um, one lens is black, the other lens is a clear lens. That's Dr. Cornelius from Weapon X. So, ah, which, which brings, connection. yeah, which brings us, Dr. Can- that's bringing us full circle back to episode yeah. one. Good old Dr. Cornelius. Yeah. Spirit so, animal. so this is the guy who made Wolverine and Deadpool basically, but, uh, cable is like, we've been working on a program. We think can cure you of your cancer. He got radiation cancer because of the bomb. Uh, in fact, we think it'll make you stronger, faster, and better than you've ever been. It's called Weapon X, and in the last panel, Wade turns over to him, and he's like, you've got my attention. So basically, this is everything leading up to now this Deadpool becoming the Deadpool that will know in his fullest form. And uh, that's it. That's that's the four-issue Deadpool pulp series. Yeah, I really liked that that addition at the end because I, I was pretty much ready for the story to be over after, um, you know, after really, well, really after they killed Strife, and then then it wasn't over because then he had the meeting with Outlaw, and then then it still wasn't over after the bomb went off because uh, they had that little twist tying it sort of back in or at least give, you know throwing the reader a bone uh, 
saying now this Deadpool it may become the Deadpool that we actually know from the Marvel, you know, from the normal Marvel universe. So I really like the ending. And to me, this story, like I said, it started off pretty slow. I think the first two issues were pretty slow, interesting, beautiful to look at, but slow. Uh, but the last two issues really picked up the pace uh, with the revelation that, you know, his whole sort of origin was, was a lie uh, with, you know, I, I really loved <clears throat> my favorite part. I think was when he overcame the programming because he had other voices in his head and the other voices were able to sort of like talk, start talking to the programmed voice and the program Deadpool voice is like, wait, are there other, are there other people in here? And he's like, yeah, there's me and there's me. And they and they basically just, just crowd out the other voice. So it's almost like his, his mental insanity that, that sort of developed from the torture he received is ironically what allowed him to break free of that mental programming. Uh, once they snapped him back into, uh, you know, into that program mode, uh, that's how he's able to overcome it. That same torture that created those multiple personalities, those multiple voices in his head is what enabled him to break free. So I really, really like that twist at the end and then of course and really love the whole last issue when he when he you know kind of ingeniously uh you know overcomes the programming and and uh, I, like, I like how he staples the mask to him and convinces uh cable to go after him under the programming uh and then the whole thing with the bomb le- leading back into this burned out wade wilson that will then become deadpool it, to me it, the, the last two issues really picked up and they really i think they paid off a lot of maybe the slowness of the first the first two issues so i think the, the end of the series really really picked up the pace and really picked up the interest for me yeah i mean i think this is really a good example of what what, whether whether for readers whether you like really liked it or really didn't like it this is a good example of taking existing properties and themes and stories and characters and putting them in a completely different genre in its own canon so that way we can really explore it uniquely and uh you know i agree the art's great but this story the I, I think the mark of a good story is whether it's good for both new readers and longtime readers. And I think this was not meant for new readers. I think this was meant for people that are already very familiar with the story. So that way you get this new experience, but you get all these payoffs of the little Easter eggs and all these other things. And, you know, you're already accustomed to these characters. So now you're experiencing them differently instead of having to just raw, you know, experience it for the first time. So I, uh, I I think we can get into the rating for this one. I, I'm going to give the artwork a five out of five. I, I really do think that these guys did great. I've seen their work on other stuff as colorists and artists. Um, I think for that is the best part of this book, uh, that they really make the, the noir setting stick and their action is fun and it's just uh, – it it's very cinematic. I think that's really great. When you keep me you know clinged because the art is just so dynamic, that's great. The storytelling, I'm going to give it a two. I think, I think, I I think the story drags back everything because it's too much of a slow burn. There are too many points that feel a little bit disconnected and it doesn't feel, it it feels like they took almost too much from other films. I wasn't, I didn't want to read this just to read, you know, a Maltese Falcon or, uh, uh, what was it called? Um, uh, Vertigo or anything like that. I wanted to see Deadpool, and I feel like they sacrificed some of the Deadpoolness to make it so noir, 
nostalgic. So despite the fact that I think it's a good self-contained story, it's not very new reader friendly. And for even longtime readers, it doesn't deliver on some of the things that you want in the way you would like it to be done. Even though some of the stuff does kind of cap off, especially at the end with the reveal of Weapon X and the burned out Wade Wilson, who will eventually become the, the mutant mercenary with Merc with a mouth Deadpool. Uh, it, it leaves it's leaves something to be desired for both. So I will give it a personal score of a seven out of ten. Wow. Carried carried almost entirely by the art there. Uh, so, yeah, I um, like I said, this started off kind of slow for me and I was ready to, to almost write off the writing um, and, and give it probably a score like like you did. Uh, but like I said, those last two issues really tied things back together for me and really picked it up for me. Uh, so I, I can't give it a two on the writing. I'm going to give it a three on the writing because I do think the writing is above average. And maybe because I was going into this looking, not necessarily looking for a Deadpool story. I was just looking for a story and I got a pretty decent story out of it. So I, while it didn't blow me away and it did feel slow at parts, uh, I have to say it's I, I'd call it above average. So, so to me, a two point five would be an average. So I'm going to give it three because uh, I do think it's a better than average read overall. Uh, but then the artwork, I, I was really tempted to give it a five, but I really I'm really trying to have my standards really high for five for a five on art or writing uh, so I'm giving it a 4.5 only because there was a few moments uh, where things just felt a little confusing in some of the scenes uh, especially when uh, Wade is like in the jungle in the one scene some of the fight scenes were just a little confusing and uh, there's sometimes like you said there's the one scene where it was kind of confusing wait is this cable or is this strife sometimes they looked a little too similar um, I am nitpicking because I could easily justify a five but I'm, I've just decided to keep the fives in my pocket so I'm giving it a 4.5 in the art but a three on the story so I'm still actually ending up with a slightly higher rating than you at 7.5 yeah i mean i i i like the story but it's just i i mean with those things lacking it doesn't make me think oh this is a shitty comic or something there are good things that are just entertaining for entertainment's sake and that's how i i feel with this one i, I treat comics kind of like i treat my movies i could get real analytical about it but really at the end of the day it's like did, did i enjoy it could i read this again yeah i've read this probably you know three four times since uh, since I found out Marvel Unlimited and I wanted to do this episode. So I think just the fact that it's entertaining alone, even though I gave it a 7 out of 10, I'll still probably read it again one day. Well, 7 out of 10 is still pretty good. It's a, well, I guess it's a C if we're grading in, in a school grade average, but... Yeah. But a C is passing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's a, it's enough to say, yeah, it was, it was a good story. Do I think it will, uh, it will be something that people will jump out to want to read after this? No, maybe you'll be interested to read it after this. I think you should read it for yourself. Come to your own conclusion, folks. But, I mean, what I do commend it for is really trying to get out of that comfort zone of continuity. It's always different when you're taking uh, a character, a property someone loves, and you're willingly changing it. But that's the beautiful thing about comics. Comics does what movies and films have only recently begun to do. It's begun to really treat the readers and the fans with the things they love, but in a different light. And when you do that, you get some really great stories out of it. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I think it's a um it's a good story. Uh, it's an enjoyable story. I would recommend I would recommend at least reading it, uh, especially if you have Marvel Unlimited and it's not going to really cost you anything extra because the art really is something to behold. And it's unique. I will say this. It's definitely a unique story. And uh, there's something for everybody there. I think, I think most people that check this out will at least come away with it, having enjoyed it or appreciated it on some level, at least, if nothing else, the artwork. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that that's about it, folks. Uh, it was a brief four-issue series. I recommend going out and checking it out yourself, and uh, we'll definitely jump into more Elseworlds what-if stuff long-term. For sure, for sure. And I, I do think it's interesting that, you know, in the past, like when I was growing up and reading stuff like What If, uh, that was all definitely considered like completely out of canon. But something that Marvel and DC have both done in the last, you know, decade or 15 years or so in, in different ways, they've basically incorporated uh, at least the potentiality. Is that a word? I think it is. Uh, the potentiality. We'll yeah, we'll take it. Of all these Elseworld stories, all the What If stories of every multiverse that you've ever seen of potentially or theoretically being in canon by really integrating the ideas of the multiverse into their normal canon. Uh, so we've seen that, of course, like DC Universe has the, uh, you know, the 52 universes, the 52 Earths uh, at the same time. On top of that, you have the dark multiverse and they can basically call anything canon of sorts uh, because it can be canon within the multiverse, just maybe not the main DC Universe that that is considered normal continuity. And then, of course, Marvel had uh, basically during Secret Wars, uh, they basically enveloped every every like alternate story they've ever had that was somehow referenced at some point during that as being sort of part of the multiverse, uh, the multiverse that was destroyed uh, and then maybe not really destroyed because now characters are back. But that's a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother down. But uh, I do think it's interesting that both companies have really gone from treating these as just random stories uh, that never existed, sort of, so to speak, to stories that we can say sort of did exist in the continuity of sorts, in canon of sorts, because now we're calling uh, basically an entire multiverse uh, somewhat of canon. So uh, this is the kind of conversation that normal human beings will never care to have. But comic book nerds will love this stuff. And I love... I mean, I'm a continuity like nerd. Like I hate, like when I see something that doesn't make sense in continuity, it, it kind of drives me crazy and I have to come up with a way in my mind to, uh, to put it in continuity. And I, I, I'm still not sure how I feel about Elseworlds and what if stories being considered continuity. Cause then it's just kind of like everything's continuity. So what's the point of even continuity if everything can be continuity. Um, but I do enjoy, I don't know. I enjoy, I enjoy seeing the integration of characters that are supposed to be uh, sort of alternate worlds, like um, say the maestro or something like that. Right. When that character is, is introduced in, to comics through events like Secret Wars interacting with the modern uh, characters or when Old Man Logan interacts with the Maestro who are both supposed to be from sort of alternate futures but both found their way into the, uh, I guess, regular MCU. So um, I, I enjoy the the crossing over of all these characters even though it, it does kind of can drive me crazy just thinking about the continuity of it all. Yeah. All that matters is what's real in your heart. There you go. There you go. Well, that's about it, folks. I just want to say, hey, all of this is driven by you. Whether you like something or not, this show is run by fans for fans because of fans. So, you know, check, uh, the the biggest thing to do is join our join our fan group, to hang out with Mark and I and all the other people that really uh, keep keep this community going at the Second Print Comics uh, fan zone over on Facebook. We're capping at fifty people before it becomes a Patreon exclusive. But listen, we hawk Patreon because every dollar we get from there, we invest right back in the show. You get exclusive rants, you get comments. You get all this other extra commentary, posters, features, and so much more. And if we hit that three hundred dollar uh, monthly level, we're gonna bring in writers, artists, the people that make the things we love to talk about. Indeed, indeed, we shall. Uh, our the output that we give to this podcast uh, will be directly influenced by the support and the enthusiasm from fans. We've had a lot of great support, a lot of great enthusiasm. We're out, we already got a decent number of patrons who've started to trickle in. Uh, so the the more and faster that happens, the more we'll be able to ramp up the time and energy that we put into this podcast and into uh, creating our product that we really love doing. I mean, I know I I look forward every time to sitting down and talking about this stuff, and I look forward to reading stories that you're introducing me to and going back to stories. That 
that I that I read, but a lot of the stuff like like uh, Nightfall that we talked about last issue, uh, I maybe had read it. I probably had read it one more time since I was a kid. I think maybe four or five years ago I read it, but just it's really interesting reading stuff that you love as a kid and then seeing how it is now and how it holds up. I mean, Nightfall held up as an adult. Maximum Carnage, not no. so much. Not so much. No. So, uh, highly recommend going back and listening to those episodes. Uh, Nightfall was last episode, episode nine, and then Maximum Carnage we looked at back in episode seven. Uh, and you'll really see the contrast there, but uh, I really do love uh, this this entire process of, of doing this podcast, and that's the most important things out there, kids. you got to be doing stuff you love. And if you love listening to this show, help us do more of it. Uh, easy ways to do that. Sharing the show, telling friends about the show, uh, posting, even if it's just a simple retweet or leaving us a review on uh, Apple Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher Radio. Uh, those five-star ratings and great reviews are huge for us. It's an easy, uh, inexpensive, free way to help us. Uh, it, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to us. Yes, it costs you about a minute of your time, maximum. But it, it means it means the universe to us, my friends. It means the entire multiverse to us. So uh, thank you for all the support that we've seen out there, and thank you in advance for all the future support because we're we're getting new fans every week. And uh, you know, like I said, we're enjoying the process, and we hope you guys are enjoying listening to it as well. Absolutely, as always, folks. I'm Ramso W. Martinez, and I am the marvelous, miraculous, mighty Mark Claire. Read comics, change the world. Adios, muchachos. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.